here this morning. He's a good friend of mine. For those of you who don't know Bill, uh, this is Bill Bushhouse. He's from Fredericksburg. His wife, Ellen, is with us sitting there with the McCalls. Bill was the director years ago at His Hill. He was one of my teachers, and uh, he's just a really good friend. Appreciate him being willing to, to be here with us this morning, giving Charlie a break, much-needed break. And uh, something I appreciate about Bill is that he's always uh, consistent with encouraging us to Christ. If you listen to the His Hill podcast, you know that Bill is a regular contributor. And it's just a blessing to have you with us, Bill. Thanks for being here. Thank, thank you, Kelly. Yeah, it is good to be here. I was telling a couple of you, I feel more at home here than in our home church in Fredericksburg, because I've known so many of you uh, so long, uh, Charlie and Porter, uh, just literally the first people we really got to know here in Texas when my wife and I came out in 1981. So when Charlie asked me to speak, I, I was happy to do it. And, um, and he wanted me to do two Sundays, and I said, okay. And then he called back and wanted me to do three. <laughs> and I said, okay. Actually, threes in a way is easier than one, or two, one and two. You, there's a lot of good series you can, you can put together. But uh, here's what the Lord laid on my heart. Years and years ago, the early church fathers uh, came up with this uh, idea of the seven deadly sins. I don't know if you've ever heard of those seven deadly sins. You can look it up. And uh, I think it's loosely based on Proverbs chapter 6. There are six things the Lord hates, yea, seven. Um, we're only going to look at three of those because uh, we got three Sundays. So uh, this morning, uh, I want to look at pride, pride. Next week, I want to look at greed, and the next uh, week, I'd like to look at anger. If uh, none of you suffer at all or are ever tempted in these areas, feel free to stay at home and, <laughs> and confess your... <laughs> Turn in the Bible, turn in your Bibles first to, uh, I'm going to give some preface stuff, but you be ready at Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. I want to, while you're turning there, I want to give you very briefly the origin, what I believe to be the origin of pride that we see, I believe it was before the fall, but we see it in the garden when God says, in the day you shall eat thereof, you shall surely die. And Satan says... You shall not surely die. That's the root definition, meaning, demonstration of pride. Putting yourself above God. Wanting to be in His place. Uh, thinking your opinions are higher than His. Your words and ideas are better than His. Uh, on and on and on. So that's basically the, the meaning of pride, is putting yourself above God in many ways. Secondly, I want to, before we get to Luke 14, I want to share real quickly God's attitude toward pride. Very important, God's attitude toward pride. It's not one of those uh, sins with which he easily bears, as we'll see. We're told in uh, Proverbs 16, 5, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Surely you will not go unpunished. Everyone. And the origin, the, the, the seat of, of pride is your heart, right? That's where we think of other people. That's where we talk of other people. That's where we complain against God. All, all, everything goes on there. It is so subtle and so quiet, sometimes I, I think we don't even see it, because sin blind, uh, pride blinds you also. So God, uh, all those who are proud are, are an abomination to God. In Proverbs 6, uh, 16 through 17, that's, it said, there are six things the Lord hates, yea, seven, 
And the first one right in the list is haughty eyes, pride. Haughty eyes, where you're, you, you see lofty, you imagine lofty things for yourself. Uh, it's uh, haughty eyes, pride. So it's one of the things the Lord hates. The Lord hates. And then in First uh, Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, he tells the younger man, he says, Be subject uh, to your elders, uh, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility, which is the opposite of pride, as we'll see. Clothe yourself with humility. Here's why. Because God is opposed to the proud. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This was the most eye awakening thought for me in this topic. Uh, I cannot afford to be opposed by God in my in anything I do, in any way of my life, in any area of my life. God opposes the proud. So in summary, God's attitude toward pride, it's an abomination to him. Pride is an abomination to God. Pride is hated by God. The Lord hates pride, and therefore God is opposed to the proud. God is opposed to the proud. Remember when um, Jesus was foretelling they're going up to Jerusalem, and he says, I'm going to go up, and the, you know, the chief priests and Pharisees, they'll take me and they'll crucify me. And, and Peter says, in effect, no way, Lord. And he says what? He looks at him and says, get thee behind me, Satan. See, right there at that minute, Peter's mind was... Jesus says this, and Peter says what? Did he mean good? Yes, he did. But but I think that what was driving his heart at that time was pride. Surely, surely I know better. Surely I know what's going to be going on here in the near future. But now I want to look at three ways. Here's the bulk of what I want to say. The bulk of what I want to say is this. Uh, How pride is demonstrated. You can jot these down, but I'll come back to all of them. First, how pride is demonstrated toward self. How pride is demonstrated toward others. And how pride is demonstrated toward God. That seems to sum it up in the scriptures. It seems to be the circumstances in which God talks about pride uh, the most. So with that, uh, everybody at Luke 14, let me pray for us. Father, thy word is truth. Sanctify us in the truth. Fathers, our hearts are deceitful. We imagine ourselves uh, one way, and you see us another so often. And Father, I pray that... um, you would be pleased to gently, in your, in your kind way, to put our hearts back underneath your authority, your love, and your grace. And that we would learn of Christ, who is gentle and humble of heart. Thank you for this gathering together. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. May they be encouraged somehow. Through thy word this morning, amen. Okay, let's start in Luke chapter 14. Pride demonstrated in our attitude toward self. 14, I'm going to begin at verse 7. Luke 14 and verse 7. Goodness, I'm about ready for a new set of glasses here. There it is. This is our Lord Jesus speaking. He says, and he began speaking a parable to the invited guests, to the invited guests, when he noticed how they began picking out the places of honor at the table, right? They were coming to a wedding feast, and there were places of honor like we do today, right? You go to the wedding feast, you go to, you know... Levi and Rachel's wedding feast, and there's that head table up there where the wedding, wedding party is. and it's, We still do that today. There's places of honor. And uh, I didn't get one. But 
Being there was an honor. Being there was an honor. Luke 14, 7, he noticed that people were choosing for themselves. Now, what are they saying to themselves when they start picking out these places of honor? Well, surely if anyone's going to be given a place of honor, it is me, right? Because I am, and you probably would not enumerate all the things you thought you were, but you would certainly think, what? I'm probably loved better by the bride and groom. I'm probably appreciated better. I know I've done more for them. You know, and the list would go on and on in your heart, and you would think, therefore, uh, I deserve to uh, have a place up at the table. Uh, wrong. Wrong. What if you weren't even invited, by the way? You ever get hurt when you don't receive an invitation? Pride. Pride. I should have been, what? Invited. I should have been included. I should have been recognized. My services should have been honored. Right? I should be applauded. So anyway, these people are coming in and they're taking these honored seats and Jesus says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. Do not take the place of honor. Lest someone more distinguished than you come. There is such a thing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Who could be? <laughs> That someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him, and he who invited you both shall come and say to you, Give place to this man. Then, in disgrace, you proceed to occupy the last place. Because there's nothing left. Everything's filled up, right? You go get, you go get the... Uh, the worst seat. I've uh, been involved in uh, not official meetings, but somewhat impromptu meetings, and the meetings had a purpose, and I've been there, and, and certain people arrived and just assumed they would be in charge. Just assumed that they would be in charge, that they would run the meeting, that they would control things. But that's not so. And they had to be what? Disgraced. They had to be disgraced. But, verse 10, but when you are invited, go recline at the last place. And he who has invited you may come, he may, he may not, but he may come and say to you, friend, come up higher, come up here, don't, you don't, don't hang around back here, come up here. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. Because you have not honored yourself, you've been honored by the host. And so Jesus sums up this parable by saying this, for everyone, everyone, everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled. Everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled. Everyone. Everyone. I have exalted myself at elders' meetings. I mean, I had every right to be there. Right to be a participate, uh, participator, contributor. But I exalted myself. And guess what the Lord did? Yeah, you guessed it. Uh, we've all done things like this, and we must recognize them for what they are. They are pride. They are pride. The proud man thinks his opinions are the best, A proud man uh, does not listen or learn from other people. 
The proud man will be humbled. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. That's another truth, isn't it? We see this in the life of our Lord Jesus so often, don't we? We, we see him, we see the whole picture of death before resurrection, right? Suffering, a death before life, suffering before, you know, freedom from death. Uh, on and on and on. Unless a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it'll, it abides by itself. But if it dies, I think the dying there is to self. Uh, my own self-importance, my, my, my own will, my own ways, my, uh, my own preferences as far as, far as it pertains to, to groups. He who exalts himself shall be humbled. Uh, but that's not the only way I think pride is demonstrated. Now in all these examples, these parables we're going to see you know, you can make an argument that all three are demonstrated. One's attitude toward God, toward others, toward self. And that's true. But I think some of these uh, point out really clearly um, to whom and under what circumstances God is talking. Let's stay in Luke. Let's stay in Luke and, and turn over to the right to chapter 18. Let's go to chapter 18 in your Bible or your your phone, whichever one you prefer to look at, or some of you, like me, when you're in church, you just prefer to listen. That's okay, too, but listen. In chapter 18, very familiar passage, we have this. And he also told this parable. Now, as in the first one, he gives a very specific group, right? Here's the people I'm talking to. Here's the ones I'm talking to. He also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. See, viewed others. We've, that's, how, that's our view. Pride shows itself in our attitude toward others, right? In our attitude toward others. We view them with contempt. I can't believe she said that. Well, what, hadn't you said things like that? I mean, right? These kind of things. I think uh, the better part of sarcasm is pride. Right? Uh, these are killer things, you know. These are things that must be fought uh, day and night by yielding to the Holy Spirit. Um, Let's read the parable. It says in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 90, he told this parable to the ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself. God, and here's the first thing out of his mouth. I thank thee that I am not like other people. Well, he might not have been to that extent like other people or manifested the full grossness of human depravity, right? But he thought it was who? Himself. He is exactly like other people, right? In nature, and character in every way. If there's any manifestation of any goodness in this man, it was who? It was God. He says, Father, I thank you. I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, are even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. It's better than us, isn't it? I pay tithes of all that I get. So there's one guy. There's one guy. 
But the tax gatherer standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes toward heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the what? Was he a sinner? He was the sinner. So is the Pharisee. So are you. Be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, verse 14, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every, and here he ends with the identical phrase, for everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. In this case, forgiven, right? Made righteous, justified, justified. Um, a friend of mine, Jim Elif, some of you know Jim. Jim and I pastored together down in Florida many years back, and uh, we lived on a real thoroughfare for uh, transient and homeless people, uh, hundreds and hundreds, and I lived in the church building in a little apartment there, and some would come uh, to the door, and they'd want food, they'd want, and we'd give them everything they would want except direct money and we put some in school we housed that we just the Lord it was a great ministry uh, I remember one night just it was like two o'clock in the morning and I heard my door banging I mean just banging and you know for me I don't know if you know for me it's not easy to get out of bed I got to transfer into the wheelchair and uh so I got to the front door and I opened it. The guy wouldn't stop, right? And I get there and I open the door and there's this guy holding a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken under his arm, holding a drumstick. He says, I got one question for you. I said, okay, what is it? He says, is Jesus God or the Son of God? And I have to say, I responded in pride. I didn't say, you idiot, or anything like that. So. Uh, but it amounted to that, you know. I said, you know, 2 a.m., and I said, both. <laughs> I said, come in, sleep it off, and he did. But Jim Elif, my pastor, tells a story of another transient we picked up. This guy responded well to the gospel, responded in faith, and we saw him baptized in the church there, and we got him a job, a trade, was doing very well. But he had this habit of always taking over a, a, a conversation, always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, you know, and Jim, as he recounts, was praying about Jimmy. That was the guy's name, Jimmy. And he said, Lord, I want to love Jimmy. I want to be patient with Jimmy. But Father, you know, Jimmy is always intruding. He's always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. And sometimes what he says is quite embarrassing. And he says, he very rarely hears what he is sure of word from the Lord, but he said, the Lord said to him, you are my Jimmy. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? No matter what distinction this Pharisee may have seen between him and this other fellow, this fellow sinner, that distinction is nothing compared to the distinction between him and who? And God. And God. No matter how weak Jimmy was and how mature Jim Elif was and genuinely was, that gap of growth and maturity is nothing compared to the gap between Jim Elif and the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, the point is this. We don't compare ourselves to one another, do we? If we compare 
we either despair or we get haughty. There's only two options there. We despair, oh, I wish I were like, which is pride, or we get puffed up. We get puffed up. Uh, pride in the way that we view others. I've come to believe this with all my heart. Gossip is pride. And I'll tell you why. Gossip is pride. Look at what the man prays. He prays, uh, Father, I thank you that I'm not like other people. So if I'm gossiping about someone, and I said, you know, she's really a, does this. So you might as well say, and I'm glad I'm not like her. Right? I'm so glad I'm not like them. Because would we gossip about someone with whom we share blatantly the same problem? Would we? I wouldn't get around gossiping. So I can't believe how much hair that guy has lost. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm really convinced that gossip is nothing but pride. You're comparing yourself to someone else and you're raising yourself where? Above them and speaking against them, which the scripture clearly says do not do. Do not do. Here's some tips on ending gossip if you're in the circle. One, just don't join in. Just don't join in. Just be quiet. Folks might catch on. Another thing, I've said the, all these things I've experimented with. I've said, well, aren't you glad you're not like them? And they get the point. I know that might seem, but I just don't like the whole, the whole thing just gets feeling, I don't know, dirty, ungodly. That might be a, a better word. Or here's another thing. This one really works. Uh, can I quote you on that? Right? Right? Can I, can I quote you? What that, can I say that, you know, you said, so-and-so said that you are, is that true? <laughs> uh, uh, we don't like to hear that we've been gossiped about because for every element of truth, excuse me, there may be in gossip, there's a bunch of, Exaggeration. And certainly, certainly a lack of love. Right? When we sin against love, we sin against God. Love covers a multitude of sins. So we, we, we demonstrate pride first in our attitude towards self. Right? In our attitude. Let's see, where's that chair? I should get the chair of honor here. Secondly, we display our pride in our attitude toward others. We view them with contempt. We view them with contempt. Sadly, I have very strong political convictions. Uh, but oh, I, I, I had to get off some, I had to get off all social media. I tried it for a week or two because uh, there, there's a lot out there you can view with contempt, isn't there? <laughs> But I don't want to allow someone else's sin, and it's sin in often cases, right? To push me to sin, to push me to say something that is contemptuous, that belittles them, that mocks them, that makes fun of them. Are you with me? Uh, yeah, political talk, there, I mean, so much of this is based on the way we view others the way we view others. We say, in effect, I am and there are none besides me. I am and there are none besides me. Plenty of, plenty of illustrations uh, to go on here, but we need to move on. The third way pride is demonstrated is our attitude toward God. Our attitude toward God. That's the big one, right? That's the root that causes all the fruit of pride. 
our attitude toward God. I jotted down here in my little notes that I keep at home. It is one thing to exalt ourselves above others. But when by our behavior we exalt ourselves above God, we are displaying a haughtiness whose roots are satanic. Right? Whose roots are satanic. I do a course uh, with the second years up at His Hill called Marriage and the Family. I spend, you know, 12 weeks telling them things I wished I had known. (laughs) But... uh, I do one session on maleness and femaleness, a big part of marriage in the family these days. And I read, I don't, I don't comment, I just read quotes from websites who would differ with you and me on this position. And one of the websites says something like this. It is true that the scriptures say that Paul writes that women should not teach men. Then it says, that may have been true then, but it is not true now. Okay, based on who? Who says? So by whose authority do I believe you? By whose authority do you say that? And it has to be whose? It'd be her own the author of that statement. It would be her own. So what is she doing? She is taking God's thought. And by the way, she never argued in her article, never argued in her article, that Paul was not saying that. He was too bright a woman for that. He says that's just not true today. So she places her thoughts, her preferences, her opinions which, of course, are influenced by the culture. And she raises those thoughts and opinions and words above God. That's haughtiness. That's haughtiness. Has the Lord said? The Lord has not said. Has the Lord said, thou shalt surely die? Thou shalt not surely die. Simple as that. Simple as that. We had a student a couple of years. Turned out to be a great student good student, and uh, I was teaching one uh, hour, and I I forget what I was teaching about, and I think he probably would have too, but I got through with my statement, and he leans back and he says, yeah, says who? (laughs) And I said, says God, says God. He was a little smart, Alec. He wasn't bad. He turned, he, was a, he turned out to be a great student, a fun student, a little overzealous in the class. One day, outside the chapel, I think you've been there, there's these glass sliding doors, and there's a cedar tree, or was on one side, and there's this pigeon down there poking around at cedar berries, and this guy, of whom I'm speaking, sat right next to one of these sliding doors. And... I'm thinking as I'm teaching, I says, Scott's going to let that pigeon in. And it wasn't one minute, and that door starts sliding slowly. And that pigeon walks down the aisle of students, and right, this, I'm not lying, uh, right down the middle of the chapel toward me, going, <laughs> and of course, you can't go on at that point. I said, Scott, how'd that bird get in here? He said, it walked. <laughs> and it wasn't as funny at the time. Uh, but the whole thing was back to his phrase, says who? Says who? I've, I've talked that over with people. You know, they say things that are contrary to God, and they know it's contrary to God, but they think their opinion's better. I says, I says now I have a problem here. Do I believe you, or do I believe Jesus? By what authority should I believe you? Tell me why I should believe you. And it all boils down to, because I said so. I was educated. I learned Greek and Hebrew. 
because I said so. When we all must always say, thus saith the Lord. Turn to 2 Chronicles. We're going to go way back to the Old Testament. I tell you, I almost want to do Nebuchadnezzar here, you know, when he boasted in Babylon about what a great kingdom he made and God had to turn him into a beast. That's a great great illustration. There's so many pictures of this throughout the Bible. But I want you to go to 2 Chronicles. That's where your pages still stick together with the gold edges. 2 Chronicles 26. 26. There is a king, and he was a good king. And God blessed him and, and won battles for him and truly, truly did him good. And his name was Uzziah. His name was Uzziah. You probably know him most from the prophecy in Isaiah just before the virgin birth. or In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Same Uzziah. But we're going to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And now remember, uh, God blessed Uzziah. God enriched Uzziah. God gave him victories. And uh, in verse 8 it says, he became very strong. He became very strong. But now skip over to verse 16. But. But when he became strong... Follow along with me. When he became strong, his heart was so proud. So what does God say is the root of this behavior? Pride. His heart became so proud that he acted corruptly. The action of corruption was preceded by the pride The pride, then the behavior. The heart condition, then the behavior. And he was unfaithful to who? The Lord. Right? So this is is his attitude at this point in his life toward who? Toward God. Now look at, For he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Tell me, what tribe was Uzziah from, you Bible scholars? Judah. He was a king. What tribe were the priests? Levi. And in this specific case, the sons of Aaron. And only the sons of Aaron can do that. But Uzziah went in and what? The Lord smote him. Let's put it that way. He struck him with leprosy till the day he died. That's why it's interesting. I, I, I like to connect that to Isaiah 6 in the year that King Uzziah died. How did Uzziah die? And go through that, which is not for today, though. Uh, and he was a leper until the day of his death. Isaiah, excuse me, Uzziah was well aware that God had spoken. God had spoken that only the priests, the high priest, the anointed high priest, was to, go, was to go into the holy place and burn incense and offer sacrifice. So he takes the place. What is he saying in his heart? Well, I'm better than these priests. I'm more godly than these priests, right? And he displayed arrogance against the Lord. His sin was against the Lord. Arrogance. It's like the person in the church, and there's always one or two, who think that the church would run better if they were pastor. You with me? Maybe Bernie by maybe you've never thought that. Right? And if if, if that pride does not go checked, that person will begin to draw to himself fellow malcontents, and they'll cause divisiveness, quarrels, factions, and I believe with all my heart that that begins and ends with pride. 
pride. You got good godly ideas that you think, bring them to the elders. <laughs> well, they don't listen to me. Well, that says something, doesn't it? <laughs> right? Listen to them. Learn to be what? Submissive in your heart. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. So those are three ways that pride is manifest. But there's an opposite of pride, and that's where you want to end, and it's what? Humility. It's humility. It's a beautiful thing. There's a passage that the Lord used strongly to bring me to himself, and it's in Matthew. Forgive my brain. Uh, 11, I believe, near the end of the chapter, eleven twenty-eight, He says, come unto me, you know it, don't you? All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me because I am gentle and humble in heart. Think of this. Now, isn't that a beautiful thought? We have a window, a declaration by our Lord Jesus of what he was like in heart, and he was what? Gentle and humble. I don't mean this to be funny. I, I say it with sadness. I don't think there are two words that least describe Bill Bushhouse than gentle and humble. Uh, the Lord's been very gracious, and the Lord uh, overcomes sin through the power of Christ who's in us. Amen? That we can resist the flesh walk in the Spirit, and have victory. But in and of myself, uh, not gentle, no, excuse me, not humble. Our Lord Jesus Christ, think of all the times he could have exalted himself. Right? I mean, especially when the the, the, the head was being crowned with thorns and the Spit was landing on his face, and the whips were striking his back. He, he never stepped and says, wait a minute, stop. I'm God, you're not. <laughs> this has got to stop. Amazing, isn't it? But think of what little things we demand our rights over. That we demand our rights over. Humility, this beautiful picture of humility. It's a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Humble. Remember, humility, uh, pride is raising yourself above God, seeing our view to others, view to self, view to God. But humility is arranging ourselves where? Under God. Under God. That my opinions are subjected to Him. My wishes are subjected to His. My will is subjected to his will. In fact, to the point where we can say, and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Christ is humble. You will never overcome pride. You will never overcome greed. You will never overcome anger apart from Christ who is in you, right? He can manifest all those and faithfully does so. Humility. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It's not backing down and not speaking when the opportunity is there to speak. It's speaking meekly, seasoned with salt, right? Speaking the truth in love, not in arrogance. Uh, We're bad folks, you know. <laughs> I want to end with this. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to show you what Paul says. How did God keep him humble? Amazing passage. Because earlier in the same chapter, we can't cover the whole chapter, but in the chapter, Paul is put into that sad of sad situations, almost an embarrassing situation where he has to defend his apostleship. Right? Because so many were saying he was not apostle. 
So he's telling them the signs of an apostle through me, both in exalted and amazing things and in suffering things, I have shown, hey, I'm an apostle. Horrible to have to say that, isn't it? But reject him as an apostle. If these churches start believing he's not an apostle, what do they have to go on? He is the one who's giving, distributing the word of God to these people. But let's pick it up in verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, one of the wonderful things he, he boasts about, right? And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, what reason? To keep me from exalting myself. For this reason, what does God do? There was given me a thorn in the flesh. It's always fun to sit in the circle of learned theologians and have them discuss what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. And we don't know. We do know it was painful, and we do know it was in his flesh. And it was nagging. It was habitual. And we all can relate. Amen? Especially especially we who are getting up there in age. He says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now catch this. A messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now that doesn't seem quite right, does it? Who is the tool by whom God chooses to buffet Paul? Satan. Satan. And he doesn't try to rebuke Satan. He doesn't try to cast out Satan. He what? He knows that he's a tool. Much like Job, right? Remember Job's testing? Came from Satan, but permitted by who? The sovereign God who is causing all things to work together for good. Now listen, if God, God knew Paul that if he would have let him dwell on how great an apostle he was, all the healings he had seen, all the churches he had planted, he would what? End up in the same position Satan was, just glorying in self-beauty. But God says, no, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn of the flesh, a messenger of Satan, and in case we missed it, he repeats, to keep me from exalting myself. Isn't God wonderful? Think of it. That rather than letting us stray into this hideous sin of pride, he gives us problems, frankly. Problems. And so often, I do not receive them well. I do not see them as that. I mean, eventually one comes around to it, right? But it's very clear that he does this to keep us from exalting ourselves, whether they be physical problems, I think, relational problems, uh, financial problems, medical problems, the list goes on. But I think God is sovereign in love over you, right? He knows what we need all the time. And it's to teach us to always arrange ourselves under him in humility. In humility. Concerning this, verse 8, concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Is that all? <laughs> but he said to me, he didn't need to continue on because God said to him, listen, Beautiful verses. My grace is sufficient for you. Now listen to this. For my power is perfected in 
weakness. You see? Because when you're weak, you are forced by circumstances into a position of humility where you ought to be anyway. And it makes you weak. And when we're weak, we automatically do what? Cry out to God, right? We find ourselves in such strait that we must call upon the name of the Lord. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast in my weaknesses, in my weaknesses, with insults and distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, what? Then I'm strong. Could you say this? When I'm humbled, then I'm exalted. Right? Then. Then I'm strong. Then I'm strong. Because Christ is manifesting his strength through me, through my little wimpy body. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, how I love your word, how it convicts me, and, and it... It troubles me at times, Father. I see in me such a tendency toward this, and I, I think my brothers and sisters see it too. Nevertheless, we thank you for the victories, Father. We thank you for the sanctifying work of your Spirit in us. We thank you, Father, thank you, Father for the sanctifying work of your Word, Father. Um, you're very good to, to keep us uh, from sin. Father, I pray you would build up my brothers and sisters. I pray you would um, just do a good thing in their hearts, that your Holy Spirit would strengthen them in their innermost being, that Christ might be at home there, dwell there by faith. And Father, we ask this through our Lord Jesus. Amen.